Before tonight's Angle of Pursuit podcast, a word from our sponsor. I cannot believe Jerry Jones didn't re-sign DeMarco Murray. What an idiot. Like you could do better. I guarantee I could. They should change the name from Jerry's Cowboys to Dennis's Cowboys. Well, here's the chance to prove it. Head over to MyFootballNow.com. It's the number one rated online professional football management simulator. You become the owner, general manager of a pro football team. You get to hire the coaches, draft the players, sign free agents, manage the salary cap, all while putting together your own game plan. You'll play against players from around the world, and all the, and the best part is, it's totally free. Build your dynasty now at MyFootballNow.com. First thing I'm going to do is get DeMarco back in the Longhorn State. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Angle of Pursuit podcast. My name is Kyle Robert. I'll be your host for the night. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at NotoriousKRO. Um, with me, as always, Dennis Dunbar at Lions Den NFL. How you doing this evening, Dennis? I'm doing good, man. Training camp's about to start opening. I think a few teams are uh, having rookie camps this week, so we're about to get some answers to our questions and i'm excited about our guest tonight man we got silent h on with us tonight for those of you who don't know that's uh rich rebar how you doing tonight rich i'm doing great guys uh we are actually the only three people tonight that will not be tweeting about sharknado oh i guess i'll have to set the dvr for that real quick <laughs> uh yeah dennis we uh we got the vikings and steelers open this weekend we got everybody um, you know, starting next week, we're 50 days away from the NFL. Um, college is at like you know 43 days before that, so you know we're we're in the we're in the home stretch. The season's approaching, and and we got to get our listeners ready for their drafts and get them ready for uh, for the season. And, and we're happy to have Rich join us and, and get some. And we're going to talk the AFC East tonight. And um, well, let's start up in Buffalo. Let's start with uh, you know the Bills that did a lot, but. I don't know how uh, how excited I'm going to get. So, Dennis, I'll let you start. I mean, we were talking a little off air, and, um, you know, Tyrod Taylor was the name you brought up. So so talk to me about Tyrod Taylor and, and tell me why, you know, he could be the guy that helps this offense go. Out of all, out of all three of them, out of Matt Castle, E.J. Manuel, and Tyrod Taylor, I like Taylor the best and thinks he pre- presents the most upside. I think E.J. Manuel is... I don't even think he'll be in the league in a couple of years, to be honest with you. We've kind of seen what Matt Castle is. I mean, if he's in there, he might be able to support one person. I mean, I know Greg Jennings had some good games in Minnesota with him, but with Tyrod Taylor, man, he's a very athletic quarterback. He's actually built and runs like a quarter or a running back. He's got a rocket arm. The question isn't his athleticism. If it, it's if he's cleaned up his footwork and learned to work through his progressions and things like that, they struggle with out of. Virginia Tech so we'll see if you know his time behind Flacco did him some good I I thought an interesting tidbit this offseason was that Gary Kubiak who coached him in Baltimore pushed real hard to get Taylor in Denver so you know that either tells me he's seen something he liked or maybe he just wanted him to run scout you know offense for like a running quarterback or something and that's actually funny I say that because a lot of his ex-teammates said that when he would run scout QB for like them running quarterbacks or you know the other team they're facing he actually did a better job running the scout than the actual team did so you know I'm a little optimistic about him so 
I think that he holds the keys to guys like Percy Harvin, Charles Clay, and Sammy Watkins. So, you know, if I'm investing in any of those guys, I got to somewhat believe in one of the quarterbacks. And it, right now, it's going to be Taylor. Yeah, um, I don't think Matt Castle makes this team. I think he's I think he's on the cut line. I think they either get rid of Castle or EJ Manuel. I think. Um, you know, they, they kind of see how training camp goes and then they just bring in a, a third string. But, you know, I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, Rich, what do you think about, about the passing game and, and how it could affect the rest of the weapons that are there in Buffalo? Yeah, I mean, by all accounts, Castle's been a disaster so far, but, you know, he's a veteran quarterback, so he still could definitely factor into things and not be a great practice player. You know, when the bullets fly, he still might, they might end up turning to him anyways, because, you know, they, they, they still have aspirations that they're a playoff team, you know, on paper at least. So I'm with Taylor, you know, being the best option, though, still by a good amount. I mean, because the wild card ability is, you know, he's the asset on the ground, and that's something that Manuel really doesn't have, and we know Castle doesn't really have. And those two guys' ceiling is still going to be a streaming option anyway. So for fantasy purposes, we would rather just have, you know, the, the wild card with the Konami code, rushing ability, you know, in his back pocket, you know. Uh, we've seen we've seen a guy like Greg Rome be able to stem play designs, you know, off of having a versatile quarterback too. You know, not that Tyra Taylor is Colin Kaepernick, but it's you could do more, you know, functionality wise, you know, uh, off of uh, you know the pistol and and you know out of shotgun running. So uh, I'm on board there too. But I mean, you're how how excited are you for any of the passing game assets? You know, wh- whoever wins this job. I mean, Sammy Watkins is is a guy that showed an elite ceiling over the front half of you know, 2014, and then whether you want to blame injuries or just deterioration on the depth chart that affected him, you know, he just disappeared uh, the back half of, of 2014 last year. So, I mean, now you're getting a low-volume offense, you know, that, that, that runs one of the – they're going to run probably in, the, I'd say, the bottom third of, of plays, you know, per game in the league. Uh, you're not really looking at Percy Harvard to really make a bounce back either. And then, I mean, then you're sitting on Charles Clay. I mean, there's just there's not a lot of excitement, you know, around the weapons in this offense. And it, it is tied to the quarterback play, but it's also because this is just not going to be a a high volume passing game. Yeah, and you mentioned Greg Roman, who I you know I I'm in the West Coast, so I watch a lot of 49er football, and um, you know Roman's a guy that's that's consistently frustrated me, you know, whenever I watch him play and his teams play, but. I think the idea of Taylor could, could make a lot of sense, especially running in a, a similar scheme to what, what Kaepernick ran. And I think that might be the, the best option to help LaShawn McCoy be successful. And Dennis, kind of where are you at with McCoy for this season and, and how, how good he could be? I'm a little more optimistic, a little more optimistic now that the offseason has progressed a little bit and I've seen some of the different moves Buffalo has made on the offensive line and and I'm kind of wondering if last year wasn't an outlier for their offensive line because just in 2013 Buffalo was the number two rushing attack in the NFL and really the only difference there was Doug Ligurski and and I think one of their tackles so you know their guards really struggled this year but they brought in Richie Incognito who I think's a, a good guard he's usually in the top half of of guards being graded on pro football focus um, I like the rookie John Miller they brought in. They've both been looking pretty good in camp, and, you know, we'll see when the pads get flying. But, you know, outside of that, they got a decent center. Their, their tackle's not too bad. Um, the, the worst part was uh, Henderson at right tackle. He was the 82nd worst-ranked tackle out of 84 tackles graded on Pro Football Focus. So, you know, he's out of the picture now. They've replaced him. And Craig um, – I can't remember his last name. It's like 
Urban or something like that, but he's one of their guards, and he since 2011, he's always had a positive grade on Pro Football Focus, and last year was the first year that he didn't. So I really think that that line's going to improve. I don't think it's going to be the number two, you know, rushing attack like it was in 2013, but I also don't think they're going to be the 28th ranked line. So I think the line's going to improve, and McCoy's going to get the volume that we look. And, and when I invest in a running back, I want a running back who's projected at, you know, 270 to 300 carries. And, and I see McCoy projected as that. I think he's going a little bit later than, than I like him. I like him maybe as like the seventh or eighth running back. I've seen him go like, you know, 10th or 11th. I mean, it's not too far off, but you know, I'm, I'm a little more optimistic on McCoy. Like I said, as the off season has progressed. Yeah, I think, well, I'm on our lads, which I tend to go to for the depth chart, and it looks like they have Central Henderson uh, over on the right side, so maybe they're trying to shuffle their offensive line. Eric Wood's a pretty solid center, but, um, yeah, and I and I think, you know, to your point about the amount of carries, you know, um, Greg Roman will stick to that carries and, and will handle, you know, will pound the rock. So, you know, are we – kind of to write off Fred Jackson a little bit, or, or is he still someone that could have a, a decent enough role in this offense where he might be someone we could consider for, for flex plays or, you know, if uh, if maybe they're facing a really poor run defense? Rich, what do you think? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm out on Fred Jackson, you know, even with even without the uh, the age concerns. I mean, he's been terribly inefficient as a runner over the past two of the past three seasons. And really, he's made his hay for the fantasy game as, uh, you know, in the passing game. And that's going to be, you know, completely compromised in this offense uh, as he's just not going to see, you know, pass game volume. Uh, Greg Roman's not a coordinator that's incorporated his his running backs in the passing game. And, you know, that doesn't that kind of doesn't bode well for McCoy either, you know, rebounding off of his career low reception total last year. And then the other thing with Jackson is, you know, he really still can be more expendable because, you know, if he's not catching passes, they've got, you know, Anthony Dixon behind him who was second in carries last year. We know he's making the roster because he's a fantastic special teams player. They yep. still have, you know, the, the, the east to west, you know, Bryce Brown, whatever you get. But they traded a fourth-round pick for him last year, so maybe they're not really uh, ready to give up on him yet. And then they drafted, you know, uh, Carlos Williams in the fifth round, who's kind of a project in himself, you know, just converted safety for a couple years. So, I mean, I just don't really like that the whole overall outlook for Fred Jackson. I mean, he probably benefits if he is, you know, a, you know, a preseason release or a camp release uh, because he can go to a place where he can catch the football out of the backfield, you know, like New York or, or, or New England and, and you have that role. But I think that's where the best part of his game is in the passing, in the passing game. And that's really compromised, uh, you know, being involved in this offense. And Dennis, talk about Carlos Williams a little bit. Cause I, if I remember right, you kind of, you kind of liked him a little bit in the preseason. And, you know, for those playing dynasty leagues, I mean, do you think Carlos Williams is worth, is somebody worth looking at? Or, you know, because of the McCoy factor, he won't have an opportunity, at least not for a while. Yeah, I think it's because the McCoy factor, the Bryce Brown. I, I just think he's too far buried on the depth chart. And if you remember back in the pre-draft process when I was, you know, grading these running backs and things like that, I was trying to find out a a, a comp for Carlos Williams, and I couldn't think of one. And I was like, man, because I had never seen nobody run with his peculiar upright running style. I mean, he looked like a wide receiver. And then one day I was watching it, it just hit me that he looked like uh, Forrest Gump returning kicks um, <laughs> for Alabama, just running straight up, run Forrest run. So, um, But I do think he's a good player. I think he's a, a good running back, but I just don't see it happening for him with McCoy's pretty young. And, you know, I, I'm not really buying a whole lot of Buffalo Bills outside of McCoy, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, let's. I want to talk about Watkins, who's currently basically going as like a fifth round pick, of almost top fifty player. Like for for me in that scheme, with like I I love the player, I love the talent. Um, but Rich, talk to me about Watkins. I mean, doesn't that seem a, a bit aggressive to take him in that round, especially when we have so many questions around the quarterback spot? Yeah, he's kind of, you know, going around that same bucket of, uh, you know, high upside, you know, kind of downside guys, uh, you know, with Martavis Bryant, Allen Robinson. So he's kind of, he's priced properly, but out of the three guys, I mean, who do you feel, feel the, the least about? It's probably Watkins still too. And when you compare him to the rest of the rookie wide receiver class, I mean, he was, you know, towards the bottom and, and almost, just about every every category, and he was the guy that played the most snaps out of all the all the rookies. Um, you know, he, he was in a situation kind of like Kelvin Benjamin, where it's kind of unfair to place all the inefficiency squarely on him. Uh, I believe 44% of his targets were deemed uncatchable, you know, per PFF. Um, you know, like I said, that situation, do we expect that to get better with the quarterback situation at hand? Probably not. not. And, yeah, and we, we, we really don't. We, you don't feel confident about that. And... Like I said, he was a guy that, that showcased that, that high ceiling. You know, the, the front half of the season, you know, he had three top 12 weeks in his first eight games. And the second half of the season, he just disappeared. And you can blame a little bit on the injury. But the, after he hurt his ankle, he went for 7 one, and 127 the week after. That's so not just necessarily like a quick out. And then Robert Woods ascended in that same time, too, and played his best football at the end of the year. If, if you want to, you know, really hammer on the, the offense at least you can point to the end of 2012 when like Michael Crabtree went nuclear at the end of 2012 and maybe you get like some lightning in the bottle you know usage like that but I mean you're really paying a premium on it when you're talking about you know a fifth round selection when there are other volatile options with high ceilings uh you know after him or right around him yeah I think I think I'm right there with you and um you know Woods is a guy that was kind of interesting to me is if the if Ty, Tyrod Taylor can get something going with this offense might be an interesting piece um, to target as like a free agent um, you know when you're working the waiver wire and Dennis let me finally let's, let's let's talk about Charles Clay and what kind of role he had I mean he feels like a guy that might need might need to to kind of fill a Delaney Walker role in that offense and not necessarily the field stretch of Vernon Davis was in San Francisco so you know what are your thoughts on Clay and what he could be in Buffalo I mean, I like Clay. I think he's a good player. I think he, ex, you know, excelled in Miami compared to, you know, expectations for him. So it's it's hard for me to peg because we have one year where Vernon Davis, you know, went ham, and then the very next year it's like he was completely out of the offense. So, you know, I'm having a hard time figuring out how Roman plans on using the tight ends and deploys because I've kind of gotten mixed signals from, from his days in San Francisco. So, I mean, he he's a guy that I would take if, if I waited on tight end as part of, like, a committee approach. But I don't think he's going to – I think his ceiling is what he did in Miami. So, you know, I, I'm really not, like, super excited. A guy I am a little optimistic about is uh, Percy Harvin. He's always kind of been used as a gadget player, and he even said that himself. So I'm, I still like his talent. I still think he's a great playmaker. We'll see if, if they finally figure out a, how to use him and, you know, to where he don't have to be the number one. He can be a, a number two, which I think is more his his role. So, you know, we'll, we'll see about that. I, I like his ADP right now, and I definitely like take him in, uh, taking him in MFL 10s. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess in best ball he could be interesting, but for me, I, I'm, I have no interest in Percy Harvin. I feel like you're never going to know when to start him, and, you know, they could get some, you know, unique plays set up with him and McCoy and Taylor that, you know, that could be fun and, you know, there could be a week or two where he he's really productive, but I 
I just I don't know the ta- the talent and the the you know the practicality of Percy Harvin isn't there for me. Rich, are you interested in Harvin at all? I mean, I I think Percy Harvin when the dust settles, he he could possibly return investment, you know, around that wide receiver 48 cost. But for me, he's just not the type of player I naturally pursue in fantasy because he's so reliant not only on usage but volume and creating substance for that usage. And I just don't buy the volume being there in this offense. Let's head south for warmer weather and head down to Miami and talk about the Dolphins because there's a lot there to be really excited about. And I want to talk about Lamar Miller, and I want to talk about a guy who was really useful last year, who was incredibly productive. He had about, you know over five yards to carry on 216 carries, got in the end zone eight times, but I still have some hesitation, and maybe you guys can help me figure out you know if if that's if that's justified or or if he you know if uh if I if my right if, or if I should uh, you know avoid that and uh, go in on on Lamar Miller and Dennis I'll let you start talk to me about Lamar Miller. I like Miller man and, and I'm not worried about Ajayi you know taking carries from him you know like some people are I think Miller is you know entrenched himself as a starter I think he impressed last year like you said the the yards per carry was pretty impressive and you know I'm I'm wondering if Miami's turning the corner and becoming one of those offenses where we need to invest heavily in I mean it's almost like a, a, a mini Philadelphia or it's turned it into one because I know Bill Lazor come with that same philosophy from Chip Kelly and I think he's doing a good job implementing it so you know yeah I like Lamar Miller especially at his ADP I think he, he's definitely a guy who will return his value and you know I'm excited I'm excited about the receiving core they got I know we're probably going to get there in a second so I don't want to yeah. go too deep into yeah, it let's, but let's talk let's, let's, let's talk a little more Miller we'll, we'll, we'll get to the receiving core trust me because I'm there's a lot of pieces in, in this offense that I'm really excited about. But, you know, last year we watched him, you know, give Daniel Thomas carries and, you know, give carries to people that, you know, Lamar Miller is significantly more talented than. So, you know, Rich, uh, what do you think about Lamar Miller and what do you think J.H.I.E.'s possible role in this offense could be? Yeah, Miller's pretty intriguing because he was kind of a rock-steady RB2 last year. I mean, you look at him, he had 11 top 24 scoring weeks. Uh, which was as many as Eddie Lacy, Marshawn Lynch, and Arian Foster. He just didn't have the ceiling of those weekly players. He only finished with five top 12 weeks. So you kind of want him in that RB2, RB3 role, and that's right where he's properly priced. And you look at what he able to do last year. I mean, let's see, he was, he was, he had the second lowest percentage of runs that went for two yards or less. He was first in percentage of carries that went for five or more yards, and he was fourth in percentage of carries that went for ten or more yards. You know, the, now the thing that's going to keep him a little bit, you know, suppressed in that, you know, third, fourth round turn area is you can still keep attacking the fact that Miami's consistently shown they aren't willing to unshackle him, you know, as a workhorse. And the fantasy community has steadily valued him more than the Dolphins have shown they have. And now he's in the final year of his contract. So he's a guy that kind of has draft to draft fluctuation. You might see him go at that two, three turn. He more or less goes in that three, four turn. So you got to kind of play it by ear how you feel about him. I like him more than. Melvin Gordon, Morris, Carlos Hyde, Andre Ellington area, but I don't like him more than Forsett, you know, Frank Gore, Mark Ingram. So he's kind of, you know, just properly priced. I, I play it by ear, you know, for the, that section of guys. But I'm into Miller as like a rock-solid RB2 option. I mean, Ajayi was one of my favorite backs before his stock deteriorated, and there's more to it than just the NFL, you know, turning down on his knee for him to go that late. Uh, there, there's more to the story there that, that we'll never, you know, be able to unearth. And while the longevity of his career is kind of depressed, his draft status, but uh, he's 100% healthy today, so there's no long, short-term ramifications, you know. Uh, but 
Uh, he'll, he'll pepper in some carries, but I don't see him as a threat to Miller because if they really wanted to replace Miller, they wouldn't have waited till there was 13 other running backs off the board, not in this class. So I think Ajayi can be the RB2. Lamar Miller only had 75% of the carries in only four games last year, so he, he can get carries in this offense still and have a role. Maybe frustrate us a couple weeks, you know, the short touchdown plunge that, you know, make us pull our hair out a little bit. But I only see, I only see Ajayi still in the handcuff area of drafts. Well, that's funny. You kind of talked about some guys that are going around at Jai, and I wanted to play a little quick rapid fire with you guys and, and say, would you rather? Because, um, you know, I was on I was on Fantasy Football Calculator looking at some guys that are going around Jai. So, uh, Dennis, I'll hit you first, and then uh, Rich, if you want to answer. So, so would you rather have Lamar Miller or Mark Ingram for the season? Uh Miller. Rich. I'd rather have Ingram. I mean, I'm playing for touchdown upside, and he's got double-digit touchdown upside. And what about Alfred Morris? Dennis, go first. Man, that's tough. It's going to depend on the scoring of the league. If PPR, I would probably go with Miller, and standard, I'd probably go with Alf. And what about you, Rich? Uh, I'm in for Miller on both accounts on that one. And then uh, last but not least, Dennis's boyfriend, uh, Joseph Randall. Dennis? My my boyfriend Joseph Randall. <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, I'm not gonna take him over Lamar Miller. Rich, I assume you're the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm Miller there. Okay, well, and the, yeah, and I, I think I'm I think I go Miller. In most cases, I, I I'm with you on the I'd rather have Frank Gore and um, you know Mark Ingram would be interesting. I I think that'd be a I think that right there is kind of where I'd have to really think about it, but uh. Let's talk about the rest of the Dolphins, and as Dennis alluded to, you know, they have a lot of pass catchers that are going to be really interesting, and with Laser taking over and Ryan Tannehill. Let's talk Ryan Tannehill, and then we could talk, you know, kind of what that means for the the pass catcher. So, uh, Dennis, where is Tannehill at? Is he, does he have top ten potential? I, I think he does, but I'm not going to draft him and, and bank on that. Like, I'm not going to have him as my quarterback one just because, you know, I don't quite trust him there, but... You know, like I said, if I'm if I'm waiting on quarterback, which I usually do, I wouldn't mind having him as part of like a committee approach. And if he does take that next step, then you know, then he could be my weekly starter. But you know, he was surprisingly consistent last year, and he was like one of uh, five quarterbacks to to post double digit touchdown or double digit fantasy points in 15 of 16 weeks. So he's among some pretty impressive company there. And I definitely like the weapons they had. The only concern is, and, and this year I think is going to tell us a lot if it was, you know, Wallace or if it was Tannehill, because he's got some vertical receivers outside of Jarvis Landry, obviously, but I think Landry, you know, that could be a fluky number with his uh, yards per catch. We'll see. But, you know, a guy like Devontae Parker, when when I watched him on college film, he the the deeper he went, the better he got. So he's definitely a vertical threat. Kenny Stills is a nice vertical threat. And if Tannehill can't connect and can't get his anticipation down, then we're not going to be able to, we're not going to see his upside on that. So that remains to be seen. We'll see if it, you know, who the problem was. But um, outside of that, I mean, all the weapons around him, dude, like he's got all the pieces in place. If he doesn't do it this year, he's never going to do it. I mean, Jordan Cameron coming over. We've seen what Charles Clay was able to do in that role. Jordan Cameron's way more athletic, has way more upside than Charles Clay, is a better tight end, better football player. We'll see if he can stay healthy. So, yeah, I mean, on paper, Tannehill looks like a he could be a top-five quarterback with those weapons. But, you know, I'm being realistic with my projections. I'm not projecting him at, you know, 
he might be around my 9-10 range right now, but, you know, I don't think I'm going to draft him there, to be honest with you. Yeah, and Phil, to your point, Fantasy Pros has him going 13 right now, so if you could package him with an Eli Manning or a Phil Rivers or even Sam Bradford, I think, you know, you'll be leaving your draft pretty excited about uh, how your team is set at quarterback. And, Rich, what about you? Where are you at with Tannehill uh, for this season? Yeah, I'm in a similar spot right around that QB 13 area. Now, he's a guy that kind of has a couple people crushing on him as well. So you see some fluctuation in drafts with him, too, where he'll go ahead of, you know, that, that middle. He'll go in the Matt Ryan area sometimes in drafts because some people covet him. And you look at the ceiling is in place. I mean, he had five top six weeks last year. But there, the downside is that he still had a relatively low floor. He had seven weeks in the bottom half of QB scoring. And, you know, that floor is kind of being overlooked to an extent. And then you love the weapons this year, but there's also a downside to those weapons and moving pieces. You know, how do all those come together in, in year one? I think there's still some some unknown there. While we like a lot of the pieces, you know, how, do, how does all this gel right away? And, you know, you look at, at Tannehill, he's completely reliant on getting to the red zone to throw touchdowns. 80% of his career touchdowns are in the red zone. Uh, he Only Alex Smith attempted, you know, fewer passes 20 yards downfield than Ryan Tannehill. And then the other thing here is uh, the, the schedule is, is way harder this year. I mean, the AFC East is brutal this year uh, outside of facing New England. I mean, I don't want anyone against the Jets and Bills, so there's four games already. Uh, he's got an early bye week, too. So, I mean, if you're taking him early, you're already not looking at not using him basically three of the first five weeks. You've got to pair him with another front-loaded guy or another guy in that similar tier. Um, I don't think he is a, a guy I want to start weekly one uh, as my weekly QB1, like you guys said. So it's going to be play by ear and see where he falls. Yeah, and Bradford actually has a really nice schedule to start the season. So maybe you pair okay. those two together and you get Bradford for the first five, six weeks. Um, and then he gets hurt and then you, then you put Tannehill in and you help him hopefully ride through the championship. Um, so let's talk about the weapons he has because he has some interesting pieces. And, you know, to your Landry point, he's... He's a guy that was really productive last year and, and did a lot of things that it could make, you know, fantasy owners excited. And, you know, he's going around wide receiver 30, around Mike Wallace, around Kevin Whitey, around Roddy White, Jeremy Macklin, um, you know, to name a few guys. And he has that, you know, that wide receiver one type potential. Maybe not, you know, number one, but he, he could be, um, you know, in that low 10, 12, 14 range. So, Dennis, where are you at with, with Jarvis Landry and, and what his potential could be for this season? I see Landry in the in the same breath I see like a Julian Edelman or a Kendall Wright. I, I think he's gonna be a guy who can get a lot of targets and, you know, produce in like a PPR league. I think he's got a pretty safe floor with his receptions, but I just don't know that he's a guy that's gonna do a lot of stuff after the catch. I mean I, I do think his yards per Reception was a, a little fluky, a little low. I know Tannehill, you know, was doing a lot of dink and dunk. So, you know, if that improves a little bit, then and he's getting those 90 receptions. I like him as like a wide receiver two, like a low end wide receiver two, wide receiver three area. Um, I, I think people are scared away by his 4.7740. I mean, he just doesn't seem like the most athletic guy. But you know, if you watch him on those short routes, he gets good separation and things like that. So, I think he's. I don't think people's drafting him like, you know, they're not projecting him like they are Jordan Matthews and getting him way too early. I think he's going about where he should. Just, you know, it seems like all Dolphins are going about where they should. But that is an offense I do think could take a step forward. Yeah, and then uh, let's talk a little Devontae Parker, Rich, because I think, you know, that's somebody that could have fantasy owners really excited and, and his, you know, 
injury early in camp might be something that you know he was he was really impressive and they were talking about how how what he was doing in camp and maybe his injury is enough just to to drop him down a little bit closer to where he should go and where his value probably relies and then when you draft him you have that you know the upside potential so talk to me about Devonte parker yeah he's in a, a really intriguing spot because he's arguably the most talented receiver on the roster uh, but there's also a crowd of groups surrounding him that's good enough to you know, kind of keep him from seeing major snaps and major volume early on. The other factor is how he recovers from that precautionary surgery to replace that screw in his foot. I mean, it's the same injury that Julio Jones and Demarius Thomas suffered from early in their careers. Um, it's, it's probably going to force him to miss most of training camp and if not all the preseason. So losing those reps kind of hurt his initial timetable because he's going to have to find snaps. Uh, if Miami starts off well, those will be harder to find too as well. It might, might slow his transition down to a crawl. Uh, but, but missing that time also can create a great buying opportunity because I believe Parker uh, is, is the best offensive playmaker out of all the group and talent-wise, and he's really great after the catch as well. So when he is healthy, I think that he will garner snaps, and it'll just be a matter of time. And in the preseason, if he sits out the preseason, that's going to depress his value because once people actually go to their drafts and they're seeing that this guy's not dressing, his value, he'll start to drop, drop further and further in drafts. Uh, so he's a great guy to just stash. You know, it's not it's not a situation that's that dissimilar from Odell Beckham as a rookie. Not that he's going to be Odell Beckham, uh, but Beckham was the same guy. He had early health concerns, not a clear line to targets, but had a guy. He was inve- they invested high draft capital into him, and we got his shot. He eventually ascended, and I think Parker has a shot to do that for teams down the stretch if everything falls uh, it's the right way in 2015. Yeah, and I'm and I think the Dolphins as a whole, like especially the passing offense. You know, you might be able to have a great buying opportunity across the board if, you know, they have a couple tough matchups and people get frustrated with Parker or Landry and, and pick up the hot Alan Hearns name or, you know, whoever happens to have a 180 yards and two touchdowns in week one. And, um, you know, you, you wait a couple weeks and you jump on those guys and they could be guys that uh, help you win down the, down the stretch. So, Dennis, talk to me about Parker and, and what you think he could do for you this season. Rich already kind of touched on it, but, I mean, it is really similar to Odell Beckham Jr.'s situation last year. Both were the third receiver taken in the first round, both going to camp injured. And, yeah, like Rich said, I I don't – I mean, Odell Beckham is like a once-in-every-ten-year talent. Like, that – them seasons don't happen. I don't expect that from Parker. But what I do expect is a late – late season surgeons by him and I anywhere like you said Kyle someone drops him or gets impatient I'm swooping him up I've drafted him in several leagues I'm gonna sit him on the back end of my roster he's actually one of my favorite rookies to draft right now I'm getting him at a pretty good value I'm getting him at a way better value than a guy like Amari Cooper and things like that and you know I know it's crowded there in Miami but you know out of all them guys I, I like Parker the best I mean nobody thought Odell was going to be the number one and New York either. I mean, all Ru- he's behind Ruben Randall and, you know, Victor Cruz. But, you know, eventually the talent won out. And so, yeah, I mean, he's a guy I'm definitely investing in and drafting in every league, basically. Yeah, and he has the, you know, he has the size and he has the speed and he looks like a true number one. And, and we, you know, we watched a lot of him um, during the draft process and we were both really excited about what he could be. So, you know, he might be he might be a guy that starts slow and, and by the end of the year he's, you know, maybe the last eight weeks he's a top 15-ish, top 20 running uh, receiver. 
I want to talk about some of the other uh, options in that offense, and I want to talk start with Kenny Stills, who, you know, I don't really, I'm not really sure how to, how to what to think of him in Miami because you know in New Orleans we saw him as the the traditional vertical threat that would just kind of get the you know we'd throw it down the field every once in a while and you know throw it up to him, but the Dolphins went and got him. So you know, Rich, what do you think about Kenny Stills' value in, in Miami, and do you think you could see his role expand a little bit? I mean, the, the initial thing most people are scared about is that just basically every receiver that's left New Orleans has, has flamed, you know, except for maybe Dante Stallworth when you hit, have that one good year in New England. Everyone else that's left there has really not done much, you know, and you kind of have that, everyone has that linger in the back of their minds. So I think Stills is a, is a pretty under, underappreciated upgrade for this offense as a whole. I mean, he doesn't have the roadrunner speed of Wallace, but he's still plenty good enough as a vertical asset. He's got 13 catches of 30 or more yards in his first two seasons. He's way better in the, as an intermediate target than Wallace as well. Um, so that, that really helps, you know, a guy like Tannehill, that's his bread and butter anyways, you know, the, the, the thing you have, the question with Stills is he hasn't shown to be a great touchdown producer yet. Uh, he's only got one touchdown in his career in the red zone. The other ones have all come from 34 yards or longer, which paired with Tannehill is, you know, questionable. How do you feel about him finding the paint, you know, that often, you know, with a, with a guy like Ryan Tannehill. Wallace did leave a, a bucket full of red zone targets on the table. We might see him get a handful of those, but I still think that Cameron Landry and even a guy like Greg Jennings are better red zone options than a guy like Kenny Stills. I think he's priced pretty properly as a wide receiver four with upside, you know, especially with with more volume increase uh, and, and his efficiency that he if they can roll that over. So I think he's he's a guy that like uh, Dennis said earlier, like another one of those guys that are just kind of right in the proper place in drafts. You know, if you're high on him, he's there for you to take. If he's a guy that's really not your flavor, you let him go. Yeah, and I'm curious, especially with if you know Devonte Parker misses the first couple games and his his foot injury is like you know, wonder if he can step in and, and fill that role. And and Dennis, what do you think about Stills? And you know, to to Rich's point, Greg Jennings. I mean, if if Parker misses time to start the season, is do you think Jennings kind of fills that role and then Stills gets to be the deep vertical threat, or or do you think they could try Kenny Stills in that role and see how it works? Actually, I I hope you don't mind, Kyle, but I want to actually turn this around a little bit and ask you guys a question. Do you guys think the league is, like, transitioning more to where we're going to see, like, rookies come in and have an impact their first year? I I know when I first started playing fantasy and stuff, there was, like, everybody was excited about the third-year receiver. And then, you know, then it was Josh Gordon burst on the scene in the second year. Now everybody's excited about the second year. Then last year's draft class, you know, now everybody's excited about the rookies. And it does seem like... They're performing, you know, better at an earlier level. I mean, look at the third-year receivers going into this this year. We've most people's written them all off. I mean, you got Tavon Austin, you know, Justin Hunter, Cordero Patterson, Robert Woods, and you know, really the only one out of that group that was in that 2013 draft class that people's even interested in is DeAndre Hopkins. So, you know, do you guys think we're in a transition period? I know the same thing. I kind of see the same thing happening in baseball where, you know, rookies and younger guys are having an impact more early on. Do you guys think that is a transition that we're making? Or you still think, you know, rookie wide receivers, rookie running backs, not so much running backs, but more receivers, you know, are going to take that time to develop? Or, you know, where are you guys at on that with just what we've seen over the last couple of years? I was just going to say, I think we're in a special, I think that was a special scenario. And I think, you know, guys, I'm actually going to take advantage of owners that think that Cooper and White and, you know, even Parker to a lesser degree, um, you know, are going to have that ability to impact year one. I, I think we saw a really special talent, um, unique situations, guys, 
you know, that were that were ready and, and it just happened and it you know, they they were ready, they were ready to make a mark and, and it worked out. I like this year's class. I don't like it as much as last year's, but um, you know, I think I think getting too aggressive on these rookie receivers and assuming they're gonna Odell Beckham, you know, year one, I think it's a little aggressive. What about you, Rich? Well, I think, like I said, uh, to Dennis' point, I mean, we're in it, we're, we are in it just a, a nationwide, you know, shake and bake society right now. We look for things to happen instantly, no matter what is now. These coaches also don't have uh, the leashes that they once had. And then I think that we're also seeing a manifestation of the game of football. We're starting to see the NFL transition to a more speed and space game, you know, creating mismatches. Uh, multiple sets are being used more now by teams that, that did, wasn't always the case, you know, of us growing up and, you know, watching football. We're seeing a lot of teams run out three and four wide receivers uh, sets way more often across league-wide. So these guys are getting more opportunities. For me, for as it pertains to fantasy, it still comes all about, you know, opportunity and price point. I mean... I, I'm not going to take a rookie with, with high draft capital, like a guy like Amari Cooper. I think the opportunity lies there, but there's just too much unknown for me to invest that capital over guys that I can pay for production that I've already, that's tangible, that I've already gotten. So when you look at guys like Odell Beckham and guys like that last year, those guys were free. That's why we loved them. We loved what they gave for us. We didn't invest capital on those guys. People that invested capital on the Sammy Watkins, you know, as a sixth, seventh round guys, they, they didn't feel as good at the end of the year about their rookie receiver as other people did. So that's where it comes down to. Uh, you know, where is the price point for these guys? Where can you make a squeeze on on that opportunity? So where where does that fall in your drafts? You know, um, you're, you're seeing Cooper go in that five five six round area. White's going kind of in like he's moving down lately with a with the OTA buzz of him not getting a lot of burn. Parker's a guy like I said. I already expect him to drop when people already see him not in uniform in the preseason. So where can you where can you grab those guys? That's all it comes down to. Real quick on on Kevin White, I, I think that's a bit of an overreaction. I've and that was what oh, I was going to ask you earlier on Ajayi. Like, do you think when we do these evaluations that, you know, we need to stick true to what we've seen and where we had him ranked? Because I had Ajayi ranked above a lot of guys that's being drafted before him right now, including, like, Duke Johnson and things like that. I know opportunity plays a lot into it, but neither one of them have a guaranteed starting role. So, you know, I'm just wondering, like, I mean, I remember last year Mike Evans, like, you know, he wasn't getting very good reports out of camp, and he even started off the season kind of slow. So, you know, I think Kevin White's in a similar area as, as Mike Evans was last year where, you know, it's going to take him a while. They're going to make him earn it. John Fox is a guy who's he's old school. He's going to make you pay your dues. So I'm trying to stick true to myself on Kevin White. With that being said, I'm definitely not taking him in the sixth round. I won't take any rookie. Yeah. Brashard Perryman in the seventh and eighth is, is a little tempting or Nelson Aguilar, but I'm still not real comfortable depending on who's on the board. Yeah, I mean, you know my stance on Aguilar, so I might reach on him a little bit, but, you know, in a, in the larger picture, I'm completely with you, Dennis. It's just, if, if they fall to me and I really like the talent, I'm gonna jump on it, but I'm not gonna reach because of what Watkins done or, or, you know, or Evans or Odell Beckham or whatever from last year. Um, let's talk Jordan Cameron really quick and then let's head up, uh, let's head up north to, back up to New York. So, you know, Jordan Cameron's a guy that we've always liked the talent. He's kind of played with a questionable situation at quarterback. So, so Dennis, are you excited about Cameron this year? And what do you think his ceiling could look like? I do like Cameron if he's getting as many targets and stuff as Charles Clay was. I, I and it's just a matter if he can stay healthy, man. If he can get over them concussions, I know that's a, a touchy thing. So, you know, we'll see. It all comes down to health. I think Cameron's being drafted pretty good right now. I mean, he's a high upside pick at tight end. A lot of people's not, 
you know, overhyping him or anything like that. So I think Cameron's definitely a good upside play at tight end. So, yeah, I'm interested because we definitely seen glimpses of, of what he can do in Cleveland, and he's in a lot better offense now than Cleveland. Yeah, and I, I like him, and I, I'm kind of with you. I think if I took him, I would, you know, pair him with one of the guys going at the back, whether it's Larry Donnell or uh, maybe a, a safer guy like Owen Daniels or Heath Miller. Rich, what do you think about uh, Jordan Cameron? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested. Anytime you get a, de- a discount from what previous uh, production we've had that he had in 2012 and then his 2013 price, you're getting a real nice play on, on what we believed he was at those two times and even seeing what he was. The, ma- the major difference here is that major breakout, you know, happened in that 2013 season when the Browns were historically pass-heavy team. He was running 42 routes per game. Charles Clay was at 27 in 2014 and 29 in 2013. So you've got to Again, a, a major volume drop here, and then you got an ambiguous situation. The good news here is that I, I believe he's the best red zone option. You know, there's 20 missing red, red zone targets that went to Clay. He had the team lead in red zone targets last year, and 24% of Clay's targets came in the red zone last season, which is the third highest percentage in the NFL. So I, I love Cameron's price and p- putting him in a platoon, like you guys said, because you, you, the price point, you can play on a ceiling. He can definitely uh, give you return on that uh, return investment. And then, you know, you also are, are, are kind of insulated if you kind of take a guy later, you know, that has some upside. Like a, you can even get like him and Eifert together or like him and an ASJ, like two guys with upside and, and see what happens. Yeah, and I, I think uh, I think to, I think Cameron, you know, is going to have the ability to line up at unique spots and they might use another tight end like Deion Sims as the blocking version. Of, and, and I think is what kept Clay in a lot um, in Miami. So I'm curious to see how they utilize them in that in that passing game. And, you know, to Dennis, to your point earlier about Jarvis Landry and, and, you know, the short completion rate, um, I think, you know, Landry could see himself in different roles and and Cameron could kind of assume uh, a similar role where, you know, he's more the underneath guy who catches the the shorter passes and and whatnot. Um, Let's head up. Let's head up to the New York and let's talk about the Jets. Um, You know, they they added Brandon Marshall to that pass core and. You know, guys, I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting excited about what Geno Smith could be. You know, I'm not saying I'm going to take him as a top 10 guy, but, you know, if I, if I'm in best ball leagues or, you know, if I'm taking a two quarterback league or if I want to take a shot on him being something, you know, he had nine games of double digits and in the final four games down the stretch, he was, he was pretty impressive. So Dennis, am I crazy to, to kind of talk myself into Geno Smith a little bit? No, nah, man, like, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a little optimistic about New York's offense. New York p- could potentially be a good offense. I know that kind of sounds like an, an oxymoron or it's like a Jamaican bobsled team, but it could happen. And, and I believe that's the main, or I believe it's from Chan Gailey being there. I really, really like Chan Gailey. He's one of my favorite coordinators. And Chan Gailey is one of those rare coordinators that is able to play to his player's strengths, man. Whether it's Jerome Bettis running 300 times or, you know, Cordell slash Stewart or CJ Spiller, like he finds a way to use his players and, and use them wisely. I mean, he recruited some great players at this time at Georgia Tech, like Calvin Johnson and Demarius Thomas. So, I mean, the guy's got an eye for talent. He really knows what he's doing on offense. And how that pertains to Geno Smith is Geno Smith was – you know, at one point they thought he was the best quarterback in that class because he played in that West Virginia spread offense. He did really well. And, you know, Chan Gailey runs a spread offense, three, four wide receiver sets. So I like it. It could be a high volume, high passing offense. They got the best weapons they've ever had with Brandon Marshall, who I still have, think has a lot in the tank. And to me, in my eyes, he's still like a top 15, top 
you know, 13, 14 talent in this league. I think Eric Decker's a very underrated number two. So, yeah, I'm a little optimistic. And the cool thing about it is if you take a guy like Decker or Marshall and say Geno Smith doesn't flop, well, they got Ryan Fitzpatrick sitting on the bench, you know, right behind him. And Fitzpatrick, you know, made Andre Hopkins a wide receiver one at times, Stevie Johnson a wide receiver two. So, you know, that offense will stay afloat no matter who's that quarterback there. You know, I actually might prefer Fitzpatrick a little bit because he is a, you know, kind of a gunslinger guy who will, you know, test the defense a little bit. So, you know, I'm optimistic. I don't know if I'm crazy about, you know, Marshall's ADP. I wish it was a little bit lower, but it's not horrible. And, you know, if if I get loaded up pretty good at running back and, you know, I would like Marshall as my three better, but I would – maybe settle for him as my two, but I think Eric Decker's where the value's at, honestly. Yeah, and I'm curious about the passing game, because, I mean, I've wa- I, I've watched a lot of Fitzpatrick, and I, I don't think there's much to, to like there. I think he'll be okay if he has to be the quarterback, but, you know, Geno's kind of where I think this offense could take a step. Uh, Rich, what do you think about Geno and what effect he could have on, on guys like Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker? Yeah, I mean, Geno's showcased that he's teased us with that ceiling, especially at the end of both seasons that he's had, you know, and just, and like you said, the offense is, is a perfect fit for him, you know, whether they can harness that ceiling consistently is the question. I mean, I don't, I don't mind him as a, as a deep flyer and see what happens. Odds are you're going to be able to pick him up off the waiver wire in most leagues. You can see how, you can see how he starts. Um, I'm, in, I'm actually interested to see if he holds a job because I think if Fitzpatrick starts, I like Marshall more than Decker, but Decker's price point is so fantastic compared to Marshall. I mean, you can get that. You can get him three rounds after Marshall in, in most drafts, which is really you know hard to ignore. And when you look at how Geno you know played with Decker last year, um, of all players Geno has targeted, uh, his nine and a half yard adjusted yards per attempt to Decker is two full yards better than anyone else, and that's right on par with Peyton Manning's adjusted yards per attempt to Decker, which was ten point oh. So I mean, Decker was a guy that played through injuries most of the year, and he was still okay even before that week seventeen blow up. And he's a guy that has touchdown potential and even had it in a bad offense last year. So I'm very much into Decker's price point. I mean, he's a guy you can get as a bench receiver that you may end up starting, you know, if this thing hits right in the right storm. I'm a little more skeptical on Marshall because I'm skeptical on big receivers as they as they age and hit that that threshold. I mean, you got a guy that's had three three hip surgeries in this past five years, and you look at him, uh, what Marshall's done, you know, outside of uh, you know the past few years with with Cutler. He was a poor red zone performer, you know, in, in his last year in Denver and then in Miami, he was really poor. So does it, does it, does the quarterback play still not help him here in that situation? I think if Fitzpatrick starts, he's, his intermediate option, uh, Marshall's really good from the slot, a lot better for, than most people think is a big slot guy. So, I mean, I think he aids more from Fitzpatrick starting in Geno, who's kind of, intermediate game's really not Geno's bag. But I mean, you're feeling pretty decent about the upside here, uh, you know, just to see what happens in this offense, because Chan Gailey is that maximizer, like Dennis said. Yeah, and I, I'm right with you with Brandon Marshall. He's a guy that, you know, I watched him even, you know, there was games last year where he was, quote, healthy, but never was really targeted. And then there was the other game, like the Monday night game against the Niners, where he had the two touchdowns, but that was pretty much all he did. So, you know, I'm really curious to see what his role looks like. And he's a guy I think he's going to probably end up going higher because of his name value than I'm willing to take him. But... Um, you know, if he if you know preseason shows and and he's and he looks really good, uh, he might be changing that tune. Um, and let, me, let me ask you guys this: Do you guys put any stock into uh, Geno Smith and Brandon Marshall living together? <laughs> 
Hey, if that, I mean, <laughs> if that's what it takes, if if he can get a cutler like you know repertoire with them, and they can, you know, they they become really good friends and they work well together, and if if that helps, like I'm all for it. Uh, I, I mean, to me, it's just still that's just anecdotal. We've seen things like this happen all the time. Remember the Earl Bennett Jay Cutler relationship? Uh, that that was the argument for years that you know they were best friends and with the they were roommates in college and then roommates again in the NFL. So, I mean, I think you're going to draft Brandon Marshall because if you're taking him because he's still a really good talent, not anything based on him uh, living with Geno Smith. <laughs> and let's talk about the rest of these pass catchers because I think there's some interesting names and you know if I'm in best ball leagues. I, I might be interested. Um, so what do you guys think about Jeremy Curley and, and, De, and uh, Devin Smith, who kind of runs a similar uh, set of plays to him? You know, Dennis, are you are you interested in Curley or Devin Smith or, or, or neither? Honestly, I mean, I do think they'll have a little bit of opportunity because the amount of three and four wide receiver sets that Chan Gailey will run. But, you know, I got to look at it this way. If, if I, I'm projecting – you know, Marshall to do this and Decker to do that and Amaro to do this. You know, if I'm projecting too much on these other guys, then that's going to put Gino into my, what, top 10. So, you know, if I'm keeping in line with my projections, there's just not enough room, not enough passes to go around. Now, if Marshall gets injured or something like that, then, you know, I think Devin Smith out of them two is a guy with a little more upside. But, you know, I, I – Outside of Decker and Marshall and, and, and maybe the backfield, I'm not investing too much into New York. May, maybe Geno Smith is a late-round flyer, as Rich said. So to answer your question, no, I, I'm not even really taking them in best ball, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great point. And, and Rich, uh, what, do you, what do you think about Devin Smith and uh, Curley? And, and, you know, are you kind of with Dennis where there's just the pie is already broken up so much that there's not a lot to go around? Yeah, I mean, I still think Decker and Marshall are both going to be triple-digit target guys, so how much is left on the table to really clean up for these other guys? I think you'll get ancillary weeks where, like, one guy goes off. I mean, because they're both so different players. Curly's a guy that's a strict slot guy, and Devin Smith is bringing one tangible trump card to the pack, to the game right now. The, the best part of his games is a lid lifter. So there'll might be, there might be a game where he turns his four targets into, you know, a 60-yard touchdown or something like that. But that's not something you really want to pursue happening. Those are just things you're going to, you know, just live with and, and move on for the future with Devin Smith. He's just a dynasty stash, and then Curly's just, like I said, Curly is a completely replaceable guy. He's a, we've seen uh, Jeremy Curly's, you know, a dime a dozen. And let's talk, Dennis, about the guy you just mentioned, Jason Morrow, who, you know, is a guy that's been interesting and, and kind of was somewhat usable last year. Uh, where are you at with Morrow for this season, and, and do you think he could be like that third pass catcher in this offense? Maybe. I mean, I see him as, you know, uh three or four hundred yard guy maybe a couple touchdowns i i just don't think there's a whole lot there i'm not i, I don't i'm not too excited about tomorrow to be honest with you and what about you rich no same thing and he's already making the position change they've already said he's going to play h-back so that means he's not going to get real vertical targets and he's not a, a, a you know a, a down the seam type tight end anyways he's more of that 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 same like intermediate pass catcher role like he was in college so i mean even if, even if he does get peppered with targets what are you go what are they going for you know six yeah. to eight yards nothing much so i mean unless unless he's scoring touchdowns he's not really going to help you out he's a pass well let's finish up the jets and talk about their backfield situation and talk about chris ivory who was it was a nice player last year and had some games where he was really productive and you know averaging the high fours or five yards of carry and 
you know, found the end zone. So, Dennis, where are you at with uh, with Chris Ivory for this season? And and then uh, maybe I don't know what other pieces in the backfield or you know, Stephen Ridley. Does that does that concern you at all? No, not not Ridley, man. I just I don't know that he's going to come back and be the same player. And and really, what was he? I mean, I you know. New England's backfield's kind of that drill bit offense. You put the bit in, and the drill's going to make it work. So I don't know how much of that was Stephen Ridley and how much of it was that offense. But the guy I do like is Chris Ivory. I mean, he had 487 yards after contact. That means 59% of his yards were generated after contact, him on his own. He's one of the one of the most powerful runners in the league. He's, he's one of my favorite runners. He runs hard. I would just love to see this guy get more carries. And, you know, even the former Jets coaching staff come out and basically said that, you know, they didn't want to give Ivory too much of a workload because they was concerned about his health. So, you know, I, I think if this coaching staff gives him a chance, and I think they might because they do got, you know, Stephen Ridley and Zach Stacy, they do got capable backs behind them, so they can afford to maybe, you know, see what happens. And I'm not going to hold Chris Ivory's you know, hamstring in- injuries or whatever injuries he's had against him. But, you know, Ivory's up there in some elite conversation with his uh, yards after contact and things like that. I mean, Marshawn Lynch generated 63% of his yards after contact. DeMarco Murray was 54%. So, you know, Chris Ivory's got 5% higher than DeMarco Murray. Compare that to a guy like Isaiah Crowell who's being drafted ahead of Ivory and is in a similar situation with other capable backs in the backfield, you know, Isaiah Crowell only had 45% of his yards after contact. So, you know, I think Ivory is even a better running back than Crowell, in, in, in my opinion. So, you know, I like Ivory, man, especially, you know, his 10th round ADP. If I think this offense is going to be pretty good, which I do, as I just said, with Marshall and, you know, Geno Smith or Fitzpatrick, then I think the backfield's going to benefit from that. I just hope it doesn't turn into a platoon. But, you know, it's one of those things we'll have to see in training camp and kind of listen to what they say. And, you know, Chan Gailey is a guy who usually has used one back. So, you know, we've seen backs like Bobby Humphrey have 1,000-yard seasons under Gailey. And, you know, I already mentioned Jerome Bettis, but, you know, Jerome Bettis is a special talent. But, you know, so we'll see. I'm a little optimistic about Ivory, and I'm definitely buying at his price point. Yeah, I mean that tenth round is is a screaming deal, and you know when I when I draft, I have to grab one elite running back, and then I like to take a bunch of guys in kind of the six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So if I can get Ivory as one of those guys, especially with you know his floor, if assuming he's a starter, is pretty is pretty high. So you know I don't have to worry about like basically getting a goose egg. It's you know he the the consistency should be there, and then you know I could take a few other flyers along the way. Um, Rich, what do you think about Ivory? And then, you know, is there any other pieces in this backfield that you'd be interested in if they got the shot? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you guys on Ivory, especially at that at that at cost level. I mean, you look at the other thing that hampered Ivory last year is that uh, he was just victimized by game script as well. I mean, he was he was 29th in the NFL in second half carries. Uh, the Jets were just lousy last year. So I mean, if we're if we're expecting him to to be improved this year, you know, we can expect him to see see more touches, you know, in that regard, natural touches, even if he doesn't win, you know getting you know 70% of the carries. So he's got he's still a great value at that point. And you know if they're going to be better on offense, then it's going to lead to more touchdowns. He's going to be the guy that you're going to peg to, to get the touchdown work down there. Uh, I'm not really interested in anyone else behind him. I know some people have have their flavor of guy behind them, so I, I'm I'm sticking with Ivory there and just you know soaking it up at the ADP while you can. Yeah. Um, let's finish up the AFC East and let's talk about the New England Patriots because. 
Um, you know, it's kind of an interesting situation that, that I'm curious about to your guys' thoughts. And, Rich, I'll let you start. Um, so let's let's work under the assumption that Tom Brady is out for four games. You know, kind of what do you think that does to the offense as a whole and, and what it could mean for fantasy owners? Well, I, I don't know if it means uh, if it's that detrimental, you know, for everyone because this is an offense that operates in the intermediate passing game and – and they still rely on a high volume of rushing still, you know, more than people have always thought of the Patriots. They're still a high volume rushing team as well. So, I mean, it, it, is, it, is it a downgrade? Sure. But, you know, I don't really, I'm not going to really fade uh, guys like Gronk and Edelman because what they do well, a lot of guys can get them the ball in that facet. So maybe a guy like Brandon LaFell, you, you move down a little bit. But uh, I'm, I'm still in, you know, just about at the price point for, for most of these guys and what they do. I mean, the, the, the Gronk thing is interesting because, you know, that's that's more of a, of a play preference for people than not. I mean, if you're someone that is very much entrenched into a value-based drafting approach, he's going to be a guy that always, you know, lights up as like a neon watt sign for you. You're always going to be, you know, intrigued by a guy like Rob Gronkowski because he's going to be outscoring the baseline position by so high. But what VBD doesn't account for is where the baseline of the other positions are going for. You can say Gronk's going to outscore the tight end 12, you know, by this massive amount, but the tight end 12 is going in round 10, whereas the RB24 and the wide receiver 24 are going in rounds four and five. So, I mean, you've got to account for where guys are being drafted at, and that's kind of what, what, what moves Gronk to the no-fly zone for me. I believe I'm one of the lowest people across the board on him. I have him as like a mid to late two uh, value. I mean, I just can't take him until that, that clear, that tier of Jordy Nelson clears or that uh, tier of DeMarco Murray with McCoy clears. That's where I think like the cutoff is for me trying to invest in Rob Gronkowski. And it's it's not because I don't think Rob Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski is awesome like everyone does. We know he's he's a unicorn. Uh, it's just more, you know, fantasy preference. I'm not going to invest in a, in a position that uh, I only have to have one of uh, for, you know, s- supply and demand where I have to have numbers of running backs and numbers of wide receivers to cover me from even picks that internally are going to bust that I think are great at the time. But, I'm insulating myself, and when you take a tight end that early, you're just constantly chasing from that point on. Yeah, and I'm 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 with you on your Gronk point because uh you know I tend to like to get players where I can have added value, and I think you know taking him in the mid to late first round is basically you need him to be his you know his special self and and do what he always does um, just to kind of live up to that. So Dennis, talk to me about about the Patriots offense without Brady and kind of what your expectations are and. Um, how it may affect the rest of the players. That's really interesting that, that those points you brought up, Rich, because I'm a guy for the last few years, I've taken a tight end in the first round. In a lot of leagues, I actually had Gronk and Graham combos, and I got Gronk in the third round last year, and I've made the playoffs in several leagues, but I didn't seal the deal on all of them. It's not like he's this automatic trump card, and, you know, I'm sitting there trying to figure this out you know I hear the you know the positional advantage but you know like you said you got to account for the player you're missing out on and and I'm having a hard time I looked at where Gronk would have finished in the flex position and in standard leagues he finished as the 18th best flex so you know is that worthy of a round one pick I you know to me it's really not when I look at it in, in that context and you know, like you said, with value-based drafting, yeah, you outscore the other team's tight end, but I don't care about outscoring the other team's tight end. I want to outscore the other team's team. Like, it's not about if my tight end, you know, that doesn't win me the week. So, 
you know, I'm kind of more on the other side where, you know, I loved Gronk last year in the third, but this year in the first, I, I just can't bring myself to do it. And then I found another stat, and, and I know Gronk's weekly ceiling was way higher, but, you know, it, for him to be the number one tight end and so much better than every tight end in, in the league, I would have expected to see more of these. But Gronk only finished in the, as the number one tight end and weekly finishes twice. He's had eight top ten finishes. Compare that to Greg Olson, who also – finished as the number one tight end twice and also had eight top ten finishes. So, you know, you're talking a five, six round ADP between them two players. So I just don't know. If if you're wanting to talk about these positional advantages, then, you know, why doesn't that apply with, with kicker? You know, like, you know, Steven Goskowski, what, he's over the last four years, he's scored more than any other tight end not named Jimmy Graham. So, you know, isn't that an advantage too? So, you know, do you want to reach on – Goskowski because it gives you this positional advantage so you know I'm becoming more against taking Gronk in the first just because I think you got a hit on so many other positions the rest of your draft and you know it's it's just rough man it, it as a guy who's did it for several years it just I haven't had the success so I want it and Dennis let me ask you about you know without Brady you know does LeGarrette Blunt become a guy that's more interesting to you or you know kind of what are your thoughts on on Blunt for this season I like Blunt, man. He's got he's got a high touchdown ceiling, but you know I I just I don't really like New England running backs, honestly. You know even even their pass catcher, like everybody's trying to say, oh who's going to play the Shane Vereen role? Like really, what what's so special about the Shane Vereen role? I mean, what he's had what was his career high like fifty receptions? Like, and I know me and you talked earlier, Kyle, about you know an eight game eight game stretch he had in twenty thirteen, but outside where he finished as running back eighteen and like over the last five weeks of that season in standard, I know he's going to be a little higher in PPR. But even if you go back to Kevin Falk, Kevin Falk, who was the original Shane Vereen, you know he only had one his highest reception total was like 58 but his carries were under 100 so you're talking a guy who's getting like 150 total touches I I just don't see the hype with the whole Shane Vereen role I I think Danny Woodhead actually did better when he was not New England he actually did he had 76 receptions in San Diego so you know I always hear I think that's a term that's widely abused and and it kind of annoys me I don't know why but I just don't see this big special thing about the Shane Vereen role like I don't care if it's cadet or whoever it is because I don't think it's that valuable because it's a guy who's going to get around 125 no more than 150 touches and to me that's that's not that impressive maybe in the PPR it gives him a little more value but outside of that like I'm not very impressed by it yeah I mean to like we were talking about earlier you know it was he had he finished strong in 2013, so people got excited about what he could be and where his value could ride. But, um, Rich, let me ask you. You know, uh, Belichick's been a guy that kind of gets frustrated with running backs, and I know Legarrette Blunt's is in his second stint with the Patriots. You know, if you're a Blunt owner, are you worried about you know him not ha- not getting the role and having it taken away because he fumbles one too many times or does something that that drives Belichick crazy? 
I mean, sure, you're always going to have that in the back of your mind, but I think a lot of the negatives about uh, that situation and, and LeGarrette Blount are already priced in, you know, to his cost. I mean, he's a guy that generally goes towards a 6-7 turn. You know, I got him in the Pros vs. Joe's draft this week in the 8th, uh, and I was pretty happy to do that in a best ball league. When you look at uh, LeGarrette Blount's past 17 games at New England, and those 17 games are, are pertinent because that's when Stephen Ridley was benched and, and LeGarrette Blount started out playing him, he's carried 219 times for 1,102 yards and has 15 touchdowns. And then you look at his ceiling games, 40 points, 32 points, 30 points, 20, 20, 15. Like, those are high ceiling games that you can play. Now, the great thing about these is there's a high correlation to those games and the opponent. So you look at, you know, running back, the, the, the opponent he's facing, rush defense 26, rush defense 28, rush defense 18, rush defense 24. Then you look at all his low points over that stretch. He's got six games with five points or fewer. They're all against teams that are in the top eight or, or better in run defense. So you can kind of cherry pick some of those games. I think he's still a better best ball asset, but with him, you know, having that, you know, more game plan defined role, you can kind of cherry pick some matchups still. Uh, with LeGarrette Blunt. I mean, now he's suspended week one, so if Jonas Gray really, you know, does something week one like he did uh, last year and what, what week was it, 13 or whatever, you know, maybe add some more ambiguity to the mix. But I think that the talent level around LeGarrette Blunt says more for uh, the situation that, that he has this year. None of those guys are really that talented. I mean, Blunt's still more of a, a splash play runner for a big back, but I still think he is the best guy out of the group there still. Yeah, and, and to, to Dennis, to your point about the Shane Vereen role, I don't think we have to worry about James White or Tavares Cadet, you know, taking too much of that. And, um, you know, we saw Jonas Gray go off and then basically not play the next week. So, you know, I'm not really worried about, about Jonas Gray. And I think if, you know, if I'm drafting and I get, you know, and a stud running back as my one and I get Blunt and Ivory as my, you know, my second and third or third and fourth running backs, I'll be very excited with the, the way my team's shaping up. Um, Dennis is, you know, we, we talked about kind of Edelman and the pass catchers, but, you know, um, are, is there anybody else that in the, in the pass offense that you're interested in? I mean, Danny Amendola really didn't do much, even though he was technically healthy most of the year. And, you know, we've kind of had our Aaron Dobson fix. And, um, is there, is there anything, you know, you're interested in besides basically Gronk and Edelman? Real quick, uh, Tyler Gaffney's the guy I like. Um, if, you know, Blunt, smokes another blunt or something like that. I mean, he falls out of favor with Belichick. Gaffney's a guy that, you know, New England swooped off Carolina's uh, practice roster. So he's a guy that I liked last year. He's a pretty talented running back. So that's just a guy just to monitor in super deep leagues, just to keep an eye on it. And also Deion Lewis, who I think has showed some some great flashes. And I think he has a a lot more upside than any of those guys behind LeGarrette Blunt. So, um, but to answer your question, I mean, I think LaFell was a pretty solid option and, and I see no reason why he won't continue to play the role as the number three there. You know, with any receiver in New England has a chance to score a touchdown any given week. So, you know, that's always good. Um, but LaFell was, LaFell ended up being a pretty good waiver wire pickup for some people. Um, but Amendola turned it on at the end of the last season, man. It, uh, it's almost like things started clicking for him, and he, he was used pretty well during the playoffs, played really well in the playoffs. So, you know, he's a guy that I, I still like, and I'm going to keep an eye on. I mean, there's value to be had. We just got to figure out who it is. And, and New England still believes in Aaron Dobson, and he had a pretty decent rookie year as far as New England receivers go. And, you know, last year he just never got together with his foot. So, you know, they really don't have another – 
option like Aaron Dobson on that team, that field stretcher guy. So he could be useful. I mean, I do think that New England wants to recapture a little bit of what they had in Randy Moss because that was when, you know, they was at their best, even though, you know, Brady doesn't throw the deep ball like he used to. So, you know, basically what I'm saying is like Edelman is, you know, your safe guy, your, you know, high floor, low ceiling type guy. And, you know, Gronk is Gronk. And then, you know, after that, it's it's whoever's going to be that number three right now. Like I said, I think it's uh, LaFell. But after that, I mean, I think it's like a week to week thing. It's not nothing you can depend on for steady value or anything like that. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, basically with if if Brady misses, you know, two or four games of some of these guys, you know, end up going going later than they should or end up on the waiver wire, you might be able to to find some nice value. Um, real, real quick on that, I keep hearing people say with uh oh, well, Greg Hardy got four games for, you know, hitting his girlfriend or whatever he did. There's no way they're going to give Tom Brady four games for this ball. But if you remember, I won't rule that out because the NFL suspended uh, Brant from the Dallas Cowboys 10 games for manslaughter, and that's exactly what Josh Gordon got for a failed drug test. So, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Brady doesn't serve four games. So, you know, I, I'm still kind of accounting for that in my draft, but it usually takes four weeks for New England to figure it out anyway. So hopefully it's not four weeks after Brady comes back and then week eight. But, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think a lot of people are assuming it'll get cut down to two, and uh, I'm kind of with you. I don't. I'm, I'm curious, actually, you know. And I think you know the Patriots play opening night, like against the Steelers. I could very easily see you know Brady's suspension just being kind of lifted and being like, well, Greg Hardy and Ray Rice, and so we're gonna let Brady off and just find him. So I'm really curious to see you know how, how that situation pans out. Um, well, let's finish up, guys, and let, let's play, uh, you know, our, the game we've been finishing all our podcasts with. It's called the good, it's called the bad, it's called the upside. Um, basically, what we'll do, and, and Dennis, I'll let you start, um, you know, pick pick a player that uh, a, and if it's in the AFC East that you're really excited about that, you know, has a lot of, has a lot of potential and someone you really want to talk about. Um, for the good... I'm going to say Julian Edelman because I think he's a safe bet for, you know, 90 receptions, something like that. So I think he's, you know, good, safe, steady pick. Um, you know, like I said, he's not going to, you know, exceed his draft value too much, but I, I think you'll get a return on your investment. And um, then for for the bad, um, you know, you think of players that, not necessarily a bad player, but a, a player you think may be getting overdrafted, a player that... You know, you just you just don't think the 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 potential of what they're gonna do versus, um, you know, kind of where they're being taken, the values there. Uh, I would have to say, probably um, Sammy Watkins, man. I just I just don't I just don't see it happening. Even if you know Tyrod Taylor turns out to be Mike Vick, I, I still think that's just gonna be a low pass volume offense. So you know, I just don't see him. Performing, outperforming his draft value by too much. And then finally, the upside play, a guy that's going low in drafts or you think could, you know, is going five rounds later than they probably should and, uh, you know, has the potential to jump up and, and produce this season. I don't – it's going to be Devontae Parker, man. I, I don't know that he's going five rounds. But, you know, Devontae Parker, he, he was one of my favorite receivers in his draft class. Rich talked about it earlier, about his yards after the catch. I mean, that's – 
a, a very underrated thing for him. I mean, especially as tall and lanky as he is, for him to break as many tackles as he did, it was really impressive. And, you know, I think he we didn't get to see his full potential last year in 2014 because of his injury. So as long as he comes back healthy, which I think he will, you know, Rich already mentioned guys like Julio Jones and whoever have come yeah, back from Thomas. that injury. Yeah, so, you know, he he's definitely my upside play. And what about you, Rich? Um, go ahead and start off with your good. Yeah, I think the good is the guy we touched on earlier, uh, Lamar Miller. I think Lamar Miller is still exactly just properly priced, exactly where he should be, just safe RB2, uh, you know, with upside to be more in a given week. Uh, like I said, it, it's I, I think that he's just one of those guys that I think people are down on because of the whole, you know, the Ajayi and a little bit of, you know, ambiguity of him not getting the full workload. But he's shown a guy that he doesn't need a full workload. He's still a, 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 good, a good electric back, you know, even on minimal touches. And what about and the then, bat? Oh, yeah, go for it. Yeah, and the, the bat, I think the, the bat and the upside guys, Dennis, are pretty much nailed what both those guys are. So, I mean, I guess to, to, to cut against the grain, I mean, I, I'm, I didn't touch upon it earlier, but I'm, I'm out on Jarvis Landry, uh, like completely out on him. I mean, you look at uh, what he did at the end of last season, he was phenomenal from week 10 on from a volume standpoint. He was 10th in the league in targets and 4th in catches, but he was still just 28th in receiving yards. Over a 16-game pace, he was going to turn 144 targets into just 940 receiving yards. Um, He's already priced at his ceiling, and I don't think that the volume rolls over that he was going to have last year. Um, He's not a guy that projects to be like a high touchdown guy. I I do think he's he's a little underrated and dismissed as an athlete, and his kick return yardage shows that. Um, but I just think that he's already priced on where I project his ceiling to be. So he's a guy I'm completely avoiding at that cost. And, I mean, the upside guy is, is Dennis's guy, Parker, for sure. He's the guy we're targeting late in drafts. I'll say upside just based on where he's going within the position it, it is Jordan Cameron is still, you know, the guy to target there. So I went complete Dolphins sweep for <laughs> bad, ugly, and, and upside. Well, let me ask you guys something really quick because – um, you know, we were talking about Parker and, you know, Landry and Cameron and all these new pass threats. And, um, you know, Lamar Miller was a guy who was a really, you know, vital part of the passing game. So should fantasy owners worry about his potential in the passing game? And, you know, in his value in PPR, is it is it going to be kind of similar to last year? Or, or is that something, uh, you know, fantasy owners should be concerned about? Rich, I'll Go let ahead, you- Rich. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you, I think you're going to see a, a slight re- reception drop because I think there's just more viable receivers, uh, and you're, you know, if, if they maintain health, and I think Ajay is a good pass catcher, and Damian Williams is a good pass catcher as well. So, don't depending on what shakes out there, I still think he's going to be in like that 30 area. And what about you, Dennis? Yeah, I mean, I can't really beat a dead horse. I mean, I. I pretty much agree with with what Rich said, and you know, what, like I said earlier with my projections, I can't sit there and project all these different receptions and passing yards for these guys, and then keep Tannehill at that nine ten turn. It just it just my math just doesn't add up that way. So you know, I got to be realistic, and and I expect you know. Parker to take away more targets and things like that and you know I'm interested to see if Landry's if that was fluky or if it it is something that you know we need to worry about and you know he is that Kendall Wright guy so we'll see yeah and uh for my good and bad and upside I'm gonna kind of do what Rich did but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Jets I think my good is gonna be Chris Ivory I think that where you were drafting him and the potential he has and you know, he won't be a guy that kills you. He won't be the guy that lets you down. I think he'll be solid. And, um, you know, I think he has the potential to have a really good season. Uh, my bad is going to be Brandon Marshall. I'm, I'm 
curious between age and not having Jay Cutler and, you know, red zone attempts, kind of how, how, if he's going to be, you know, if he's going where he needs to go. And, and I guess, I don't know, my upside play, uh, you know, is kind of dependent on him being good. So I don't know if I can really, really go with Geno Smith, but I think Geno Smith has the potential, you know, as a guy who's going way late as a quarterback that it's worth taking a gamble on. And, and maybe, you know, if I get, I think Brandon Marshall's probably, you know, around, go, should go around or two later than he currently is. So, you know, the bad, you know, isn't really crazy bad. Like, I don't think he's going to fall apart, but, you know, I think he's getting, I think he's getting a little overdrafted. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think Gino has the potential to, to be impressive this season. So, so Rich, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and, and read your work and listen to your, uh, podcasts and all that good stuff. Yeah, I mean, you can you can find me on Twitter at Lord Reeves. You can find me writing just about just about everywhere. I dab a little bit everywhere, but I'm mostly doing stuff for the fake football now. Uh, I did some dynasty draft profiles. I'm doing team outlook series there now for the season. Uh, you know, definitely go go hit those and go read those. If you're into DFS, we've got a good promotion through uh, Draft Day Consultants. You know, just a dollar twenty five a week. You know, myself and TJ Hernandez. If you guys aren't familiar with him. Uh, a great DFS player are, are providing picks, you know, uh, through a newsletter. You don't even have to go on and read articles. We're just going to email them to you. Yeah, well, that sounds great. Yeah, if you're if you're um, you know if you're into DFS, go do that and and check out his work and definitely throw him a follow on Twitter. And uh, Dennis, this was fun as always, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. It's a forte, each and every day, keep play away, I can't get her out of my mind, think about the girl all the time, east side to the west side, pushing fat rides, it's no surprise, she got tricks in the stash, stacking up the cash, fast when it comes to the gas, by no means average, zone when she's got to have it, baby you're a perfect gen, I wanna get in, Get down so I can do. I like the way you work, kid. No diggity. I got to bag it up. I like the way you work, kid. No diggity.